0: Distinguished foreign guests, Herr Talman, käre Örebroare.
1: The final tap thing is that you know he says, hello, Cleveland, and they're not in Cleveland. That's the whole thing.
0: Of joke. course, yeah. Arvoga.
1: Actually, our
2: current king is famous for this. That he did like, uh, käre Örebroare, dear Örebro-livers, and he was not in Örebro. Which is like maybe quite important as a king. It's having bad if you're the
1: king and you don't know where yes, you are. I yes, mean, if you're like a rock in, band.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's not in a heavy metal band, so yeah. But I'll do the formal stuff now. The formal formalities. Okay.
0: A to Z, it.
2: Hello, and welcome back to Made A to Z. We're continuing recording. We did Prowler, but we're decimated to half the crew. And Eric and John didn't seem that sad to leave today's topic in our hands. Uh, and I guess we are okay with uh, taking the responsibility as well. So it's Melissa here, and me. That's it. Hello. We do some of these. I don't mind. It's you fun. Know, I mean, this
1: is like a weird... It's a weird song. Bit of a weird song, yes. Or
2: is that where we're going to start? Is it a weird song?
1: Well, it's weird in the sense that, A, it's on an, an album that is not everybody's favorite, including mine.
2: Often in the bottom, yes. Yeah.
1: The title is...
2: I hate the title.
1: I hate the terrible. title, too. And the, yeah, terrible. Uh, you know what the title is? The title is Iron Maiden trying to be funny. And listen... I love Bruce Dickinson. I love Steve, but they're not comedians. They think they are. They think they're yeah. comedians. They're not. I and does. I love I English humor and they're not like they're not Monty Python. They're not they're not yeah, that. Not, it's just not. their sense of humor is not that great. And so I get that this is probably a sense of humor thing, but it sucks.
2: It does. Yeah, and it's just, frankly just Quite disgusting and doesn't you know feel good. Uh, it would be nice to have a British person here to chime in on this, but I feel like every British guy is obliged to be a funny guy. This, this comes with the birth waters, you know. You have to be funny. You have to crack jokes, <laughs> otherwise you're just like as stiff as a Swede, I guess, or as stiff as a Finn. Uh, I'm half Finnish, and if Finnish. I mean, the Finnish are super funny, but they're socially awkward, and I feel like the Brits are not
1: you know the british are funny americans generally don't get british humor in the first place and i love it because i love i have a dry sense of humor so i i get monty python i get are you being served i get all that stuff so like eric who's not here uh who's a massive whovian as am i i get the humor in doctor who a lot a lot of people miss it but the thing is is that maiden tries to be funny and they're not
2: are maiden trying to be funny or is it just bruce i th- I feel it's just bruce.
1: bruce it's like bruce's sense of humor is a lot like his fashion sense
2: yeah i agree
1: don't get me wrong you know i love bruce but
2: yeah i mean what i like to say is that he's got so many talents he's this polymath of the ages yeah. so why not just let the humor thing go like <laughs> cut your losses you're yeah not that funny. yeah don't try to be
1: don't try to be a comedian on top of everything else
2: yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's why I think it's obligatory. Perhaps let's have a British guy or girl chime in on this, but I think it seems obligatory, socially obli- obliged to be a funny person. Uh, but yeah. I can't say, I'm not born and raised in England or the UK at large, so I don't know, but I feel like that's the case. And also, it makes sense because they are funny. A lot of when I traveled, I met a lot of funny British people. Oh, yeah, like they're old, funny, old, old uh, like uh, retirees. Super funny, you know, and, uh, of course I'm raised with Monty Python first and foremost, and then actually Simpsons, which is
1: yeah. all American,
2: but the early seasons of Simpsons and some great stuff.
1: I have the very, have very much have that cutting edge. Yeah. 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 No, I but, love, I love British humor. Listen, I'm not a fan of the office, which was hugely huge popular in the U S but mm-hmm. I like the British version. I like them both. I think that the humor on the American version i lose something there i actually relate more to the british version than.
2: well so do i but i'm closer in proximity but you are but i mean as an
1: american i'm saying that as an american i don't i get the british
2: humor better i think the american version did something good with it that it didn't try to have the same tone
1: i get that but i just for me personally i find the british version funnier i mean we have PBS over here, which is public television, mm-hmm. and it's Channel 2 where I live, and that's where you see all the British. It's where we saw Doctor Who, and that's where ah. you see Monty Python, and Are You Being Served, and um, what's the one with the woman, Hyacinth? You know who I'm talking about? You know what was the name of that?
2: Hmm. Oh my God, sure. I can't think
1: of the um, I'm actually not
2: even I, sure about Are You Being
1: Served. Are You Being Served is... Um, it's the thing about that one. It's so funny is because I'm in the service industry, so I totally relate right. to it. But it's from the 70s. Right. Um, you'd have probably have to Google it. So, but uh, yeah, I like I like British humor. That's yeah, good. And, and Bruce, is and not Bruce a part doesn't of it. really have it. <laughs> he tries. No, he's to not have a part he of
2: it. Like it. he has no part in it. He has a part in so many things, like rebuilding airplanes, servicing airplanes, flying airplanes, yeah. singing heavy <laughs> metal. Well, he did book. that whole thing. He did that whole thing
1: with Mr. Bean. It. Remember, did you see that whole thing? Remember, he did that. Yeah, whole when thing. they
2: shook hands, I've seen that photo. I've shared that and, photo. And yes. he,
1: he was on yeah. his show, and he's a big fan of Mr. Bean.
2: He's a fan of humor, that's for sure.
1: Oh, he absolutely is. He's, a, you know, and so is Nico, as we know, he's a funny guy.
2: But if we try and be forgiving. Bruce maybe has been funny at some occasions at least at least oh
1: absolutely I mean I'm sure I'm sure yeah. he's been I'm sure he's been
2: he's Steve been, I don't think Steve is trying to be funny much, no. <laughs> much so.
1: this is the thing here's the thing about this this song title is I kept thinking I can't believe Steve signed off on this
2: do you have the credits in front of you for this one for public Enemy? Uh, let's look them up I, th- I know it's a Murray tune. maybe it's a Mary Harris that would make the most sense I think
1: yeah I think I think that that's what it is.
2: Let's have a look here. Have a look. Let me public know. Anima, number one. Hopeless title.
1: It is,
2: yeah. I don't It's a know. bit 90s as well, isn't it? Like trying to be more, oh. <laughs> I don't know what to say, more disgusting, more uh, less grandiose, perhaps? Like going from Seventh Son of a Seventh Son or The Prophecy or anything like that, Only the Good Die Young. And then you go to Public Anima, number one.
1: I mean, I think it's tongue-in-cheek. Tongue
2: in yeah, well, obviously it's a wordplay with enemy. Yeah, But, I mean, anima. no one wants to. <laughs> no one wants to hear about that. Nobody wants to hear about an
1: anima. No,
2: no. Okay, I found the lyrics. That's good for later. But I didn't find the credits here. Maybe I should just dig out the album. I might have to dig out the album. Okay, it wasn't Murray Harris. I got the album here. It's actually Murray Dickinson. So it might be Bruce trying to be funny
1: yeah there you go harris is not funny like public anima number one is like a tongue-in-cheek thing and that's not that's definitely not indicative of steve
2: correct me if i'm wrong but has steve ever really tried that steve has never really uh, tried to get onto the comedy uh, prowler but prowler i think is just funny unintentionally <laughs> i think it's unintentional
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> to sure be enough. funny
2: it is also funny more funny than it this is, one i would say
1: it is fu- it is funny but yeah, I mean, I think that's the closest he gets to <laughs> people I think he's that funny.
2: But okay, look, part of the reason that I wanted you to join for this tune is that we've only done these early stuff with you. This is not right. particularly late, but it's getting there. It's later. Bit. It kind of uh, prompts us to go to you in 1990, because if we go to me in 1990, I'm three years old, I'm going to four. Obviously, there's nothing interesting about that. Sorry all three or four year olds, but you're not interesting.
1: I was not three, I'll tell you that.
2: Exactly. And you had 10 years as a fan. This album drops. How is it?
1: So I buy it first. I buy it when it first comes out, you know, and I'm like, what is going on with these vocals? This is a weird album for me. It's actually um uh, my least favorite Iron Maiden album. You're not. Because I album. just do not like bruce's vocals on this album and the funny thing is i saw this tour it was their stripped down tour wasn't a lot going on but it was he sang in his regular voice tail gunner was amazing live like they played songs off this album and it was dynamite because he was actually singing i don't listen to this album on a regular basis it's not like something that i i pull off the shelf because I don't enjoy his vocals. It's kind of how I right. feel about Tattooed Millionaire. Mm. Um, and he, and he kind of did the same thing with the, the following album. And what's weird is this is my least favorite album, and yet, for me, the two worst Iron Maiden songs are on the next album.
2: I uh, I think I'm with you on that one yeah.
1: pretty much, I think. Yeah, yes. I think everybody, everybody is worse. pretty much with me on that. Yes. Just the thing about this song is if you, like, I, I'm looking at the track list and I'm like, public Enemy number one. What is this? If you listen to this song, it's actually not a bad song. His vocals, not so much. I mean, the lyrics, he's singing great. Music wise, I actually like the song very much.
2: Actually, A Side Tail Gunner is my favorite track of this record. And this record is not high in my hierarchy mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. No, like we had a, our youngest fan to date was on The Prophecy, Theo, 18 years old. It's his least favorite album as well. You know, it keeps no. reoccurring. The band ha- haven't touched a song on it for 20 years. Right. Which I think it stands which, out from.
1: Not for nothing. They I wish they would rip out Tail Gunner, because Tail Gunner Live is no joke.
2: If you go with the first twelve albums, so that's Up Until and including Brain New World, this is the most untouched. Absolutely. And Bruce And maybe I don't know, maybe, maybe Bruce doesn't it, know how Bruce, to sing
1: it now. Ah,
2: he can sing it better now.
1: That whole voice is just weird. The whole and and I get it. I mean, he's I mean, Adrian's gone, he's on his way out. It's a weird time for the band. I get it, it's a bit of a decline, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a weird you know, what's weird about this album is so Seven Son comes out, right? And it's a pretty much a masterpiece or pretty cool. I know you for you, it's a masterpiece. My favorite, yes, yeah, yep. It's and never. Nesbitt actually agrees. You know, he. I think. I think both Nesbitt at- and Josh from Talking Maiden both had this at their number one. It's close for me. It's not my number one, but it's close. It's a great album. So when this album comes out, right, we're mm-hmm. like, oh my god, no Iron Maiden, and then it, and then you're like, what is this? Because it wasn't a progression. It was like a step back, yes. and not a step back, but it wasn't a step back. To the first album of the second album, because that's counting it yes. as. Oh, all, we're gonna yeah. like we're we're going back to our roots.
2: That was a but company it wasn't, line.
1: It wasn't, <laughs> but it wasn't the, It wasn't that. It was a step down, but it wasn't going back to their roots because their roots had a lot more heart. Yeah, that's the problem with this album in general is that it doesn't have a whole lot of heart. I mean, you get to Mother Russia, which is already Ugh. been done, whatever, but. <laughs> I don't, I actually, I don't work, dislike so. that song, but that's the quote-unquote epic on this album. And so that tells you all you kind of need to know about this album. Yeah, yeah. That's the epic.
2: But I want to run this by you. I've run it before on at least one episode in at least one of the shows, but I find it interesting. And it is, is it ever a good idea for a band? Let's limit it to a rock band or heavy metal band or hard rock band. Is it ever a good idea... To attempt to get back to your roots. And no. I would just quickly say, okay, that was a quick response. And I kind of agree because you're you're not that, you're not 20 anymore. You're old now. Here's like, the thing well, is, you never... Actually, they're not old at No Prayer, but they're much older still and they're much more experienced and they can't hide it. So yeah. it kind of, and... uh, you know, it's almost like you put onion on your ice cream.
1: Here's Bruce, 65 years old now, singing Prowler. Yes. That's weird. That's a weird thing of 65-year-old guy singing for like it just yeah. that song doesn't work for him now, right? It doesn't work. They can't you can't go back. You can only go forward. I can only go forward. You can't pretend like you can't pretend like you're 20 because you're not. You've had so much more experience, so much more things have happened to you. There's so much more shit in your head. And I know because I'm an old person. You cannot pretend. As much as you'd like to pretend like you're, you know, you're 25 again, you're not. And yeah. as an artist and a human being, you evolve. And so if you think back to even now, and you're considerably younger than me, but if you think back to even when you were 20,
2: yeah, so the things that you to thought me.
1: were important, the things that mattered to you, the things, the way you look at the world is so very different. Yeah. So you and, can't recreate that, and and you know Prowler eighty eight. We talked about that. Prowler eighty eight. I don't like it. It's fine. It's serviceable. It sounds great. But you can't recreate what happened in nineteen eighty or even before that with the Soundhouse tapes. Yeah. You can't. You can't, you can't go back to that. No. No. You can't just, you know, throw another guy up front and, and and do that. You just can't do that. It just doesn't, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really work. You have to evolve. Yes. And I'm all for revisiting, you know, I go and see bands that do the, you know, I just saw Steve Hackett do, you know, Foxtrot at 50. Oh, nice. And great guitarist. And it was amazing, you know, it. but it was still different because it's not like he had, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't Peter Gabriel there. So was still different. Moment, I mean,
2: it's a difference playing the old stuff. So it's
1: right. It's like it's it's that's a it's fine, different. Cool. It's him doing it. He did a great job, but it's, it's still different. He wasn't. He was he was celebrating the album without trying to pretend like it's nineteen seventy three.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because it's no, not. That's different. Of course, in like two thousand five, Iron Maiden early years. That's not any problem at all. Actually, in fact, no. I much applaud that absolutely that, uh, that initiative. And if you look uh, in, in my case, I'm 37, so I'm no spring chicken, not at all, right? But also, I'm I, actually I'm older than Maiden at no prayer, I'm considerably older, right? But uh, everything has switched since as well. Like 37 was super old in the early 90s in the in rock. Like people wrote about the purple being super old men in the like late 70s, and they're yep. still on. So it switched, you know, it drifted yep. a bit. No, it's like very the, different. Yeah, like forty is not that old the, today. Do
1: you know the Golden Girls? You know that TV show, the Golden Girls?
2: Only because of John in uh, in uh, the podcast, they keep talking about it.
1: You watch that, and they're all about be elderly ladies. They're in their fifties. They're younger than me. When I remember when I'm watching it, I always thought they were like old ladies, and they were all in their fifties.
2: And if you look at photos from Sweden from the early '90s or '80s, like politicians that are my age, they look really fucking old. (laughs) Like like this, Uh, it's you know. I think it drifted quite a bit. But for me, anyway, I even for me, I don't really go back. Next year is going to be the 20th anniversary for my first release. It's going to be re-released again, reworked. But I have made a point of not adding any other guitars than the original ones, not redoing any voices. Because we could all do it better. But I feel we, it's more about honoring what happened. And for me, it's cool that, oh shit, my, my firstborn is already 20. Like, yeah. Uh, old, old enough That's to it. drink in a year in the States. Uh, so I like to revisit it as such, like pay some tribute to it. And this is where we started. But I would not, I, I mean, to be honest, I've meddled with the idea of re recording songs, but I'm glad I didn't. Because no. I've got a lot of new songs all the time. Why go anywhere but forward?
1: Really? Absolutely. I agree. It's fine to revisit but this album is a little bit weird for me because it was supposed to be like a step, Oh, a step back, but it was a way step back, but it wasn't a step back in a good way.
2: They didn't have that in them to get back to, I feel. Like, no, they didn't. They didn't. Sure they, listen, is gone. Bruce has
1: got one foot out the door. Adrian's gone. Like it grunge is doing its thing or whatever. It's a whole weird time. It's a whole new world. And there, and in 1990 they weren't chronologically old but they were old in the whole scheme the of the business case. right they were yeah. played out they were they were old men in that sense and they, looked they were old, old news right they weren't necessarily old men but they were old news
2: yeah and they looked a bit old with those blue jeans on and it's like like they didn't look like they didn't look cool
1: They're child children of the late 70s early 80s you know what i mean like they weren't hip with the times, and yes. so for a lot of people, Iron Maiden wasn't cool anymore. They were they were old hat. They were old news. And like, for you, like so many for me, no, because I love them. But but I was lo- disappointed in this album. I still went and saw this tour. I only saw this. Sh- Here's how you know that this is not so good because I only saw this tour once, and right. everybody knows I travel. There we go. So I only I saw this. I saw this show one time
2: so i'd like to reconnect to something you said before and it's the fact that he sang more like bruce dickinson on the tour this song is featured on a a very good um i guess you could call it bootleg but it's kind of professionally recorded uh sledgehammer
1: Bruce doing his whatever his Angry Fox thing or we whatever call it the doing. Angry
2: Fox around here that's what he's doing <laughs> on the record right and but I, I rabbit, feel it's heavily, heavily inspired by Guns and Roses actually yeah. I think it was. don't do that
1: you're not Axel. stop it you're not Axel. No, no. do you the best bands even the ones that have their influences or wear their influences on their sleeve are the people that follow their own heart and do their own thing and follow their own voice don't try yes. to sound... You're not a tribute... I mean, well, you were in a tribute band. But, I mean, you're not in a tribute band. Yeah, well, all
2: of us in the tribute band have original acts.
1: Right, court, right. That's what course. I mean. But, I mean, that's what I mean. So, just do do you. Just do you. Yeah. And so, I was really... I mean, I don't know. I mean, Bruce was obviously in some sort of, like... Uh, Identity you know, crisis. Identity crisis.
2: The whole band. Some sort of...
1: The whole band in general. And, and I perhaps. think... And I think that maybe they they were sort of floundering. They were sort of flopping. They kind of didn't didn't know what to do. And there's that whole like bridge. So 1990 is an interesting year because it's still there's For a sure. lot of hair metal going on. It's right. It's not. It has the tide hasn't completely turned.
0: 1990. No,
1: no. That is very hair. I've been there. I was there live. Very hair metally. Very metal was still huge you had you know your warrant cherry pie and all that
2: and thrash was getting really big rust in peace seasons in the abyss
1: thrash is getting on getting radio airplay whatever and you know metallica's done their thing and but like it, it was a weird paradox because people sort of have this impression That 1990 came. The calendar flipped, and then everything flipped. And that wasn't what happened. It was not what happened at all. 1990 was a huge, a huge year for hair metal. I call it glam metal because we never called it hair metal in the 80s. Um, it was. It took some time before, you know, that sort of half that sort of progression happened. But there was stuff bubbling underneath. Right. There was still that there was that bubbling of things where people were starting to hear about the sub pop bands, they were starting to hear about screaming trees and mud honey and and all of that kind of stuff. They were starting to hear about it. So it was bubbling under, and hair metal or glam metal was eating itself because it was parodying itself over and over and over again and getting so quickly as well. Right. It was was just getting stupid. Right. And then you've got Iron Maiden, and they're just in like this weird place. And in a lot of ways, they got lumped into the whole. Oh, they're an '80s band, even though they were never yeah, a glam sure. band or whatever. Sure. But, but like, when people are throwing shade, they they throw the top wide, so they're yes. like, oh, you know, we're just gonna throw them underneath, you know. And and everybody felt that from from Dawkins to Saxon to you mm-hmm. know everybody everybody felt it. Whether you were a new wave or a British heavy metal band or a band. Even a band like um, Dawkins or um, Def Leppard, who was sort of after the new wave of British heavy metal and then going into the hair glam metal yeah, arguably
2: they were part of the new wave of British heavy metal, but left as quickly well, they as were. they could. Well, they,
1: they were. They <laughs> like, were. Uh, I mean, Joe Elliott will argue that point with you, but he's Greg wrong. told me
2: they flew that coupe as soon as they could. I agree they, with that. It,
1: but, but, they, but they were. That first album was... But they were also in that... In that 83, 84 thing where it was the tail end of the New Wave of British Heavy Metal, but it wasn't quite hair metal. It was, um, you know, you had Europe, um, Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. Um, Dawkins was just starting out. Rat was just starting out. Even even uh, Motley Crue is just starting out. So that's mm-hmm. that weird period. I don't know what you sort of call that period. So you have this whole thing where you have the New Wave of British Heavy Metal and you have that middle part and then you have the glam. And Iron Maiden sort of fits into that whole that whole genre, right? Because they're pre, very early on, New Wave British heavy metal, then they're New Wave British heavy metal. And then they've got the period in, you know, 83, where, you know, Peace of Mind comes out. And then, of course, their heyday, 84, 85, and onwards. And so for a lot of people in 1990, they don't know what to do with them, they don't sort of fit the narrative. One of the interesting things about Iron Maiden is that they don't fit into the thrash is becoming massively popular and grunge is becoming massively popular. And power metal is a thing in Hamburg, Germany and a few other places, but it's more underground. And so they kind of become dinosaurs and people kind of just don't even know what to do with them. They're just kind of like where do they fit in? Because at the time you have to like fit into a category, but you can't really fit into a category. And so they're just trying to muddle their way. And then you've got the dissension in the band and you've got all, you know, Adrian leaves and they, and you know, that sh- that shook them. I think Adrian leaving them shook them to the core.
2: Shook them hard. And in hindsight, we can see why, but it's, it might have been surprising to the current fan.
1: Steve is like, is this the end of my band? Yeah, so he's nervous.
2: It was like a break. And Dave up,
1: ain't know? done anything else, so he's probably nervous because he's like, I ain't never done anything else.
2: I think Dave is not a nervous kind, though. It's just like <laughs> no, I'm I don't like,
1: mean literally, but you I'm know what I, I mean. I might idolize like, he's his just personality kinda, like, over the
2: top, but he's just. just
1: oh, I love, yeah. I love how chill he is. But I mean, he, you know, he yeah. might have been like, do I have to go look for another job?
2: I don't know, but I mean, look at it like this: Adrian's leaving. Maybe people then. Uh, well, I could ask you, but. Uh, for me, it's all like hindsight is 20, 20 It's very obvious that it was a big thing, but maybe at the time you wouldn't think it would be such a big impact of one of the guitarists leaving. What would you say?
1: I would say that for for me, for a lot of people, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was a major, major deal when, as down the road, Bruce leaves. So for a lot of people, they probably not even noticed that he left because casuals, like casual. You know fans, what I mean? Casual, yeah. casual fan. the hardcores you and me and the other geeks that listen to this Mm -hmm. we knew and i remember having a discussion with a friend of mine about the fact that adrian smith brings a lot to the table because he is a sensible songwriter
2: is this conversation back then
1: this is a song of station back then and unfortunately my friend linda god i wish she's gone now god rest her soul if she were here right now, she could tell you this whole story about her and I having this discussion because she's just like, Is this...? and I said, but he's a sensible songwriter, and and this this actually matters, you know, and, and we'll see what happens going forward.
2: And you probably knew, like, Moonchild, Can I Love Madness? We, we were liner notes
1: Reader. We knew, you know, Wasted Years. Yeah. We knew, we, you know, um, he's got a songwriting sensibility, right? And he's the guy that yeah. kind of brings... I don't want to say the pop, because that's not the right word, but he kind of brings some radio-friendly, casual-friendly. And a lot of yep. his songs are the songs that the casuals know. So he brings that whole audience in. They're known for their twin guitars. Now one yep. of them's leaving. Now what happens? Because we don't know about y- Yannick yet.
2: You thought they would actually continue with one?
1: I don't know. We, we, we talked about it, absolutely talked about the fact that are they gonna? Uh, what are they gonna do? Are they gonna get another guy? Are they gonna continue with one? Who are they gonna get? Oh, maybe they call Dennis and see if he wants to come back into the band. <laughs> We're spitballing,
2: yes, Which, much
1: much like we do today on Zoom. We're in my living room, drinking beers, smoking weed, and yeah, you know, expounding on you know our thoughts on the matter. And you're thinking, oh, well, you know, I mean, what are they gonna do? Are they because they can't. Because I, I said to my friend, I said, she said, well, you know, they can't go on with them. I said, they can't have just one guitarist because they can't do that live. She was like, no, I agree with you. They can't do that live. We actually entertain the idea of, oh, they should call Dennis Stratton and see what he's up to.
2: Well, Dennis Stratton was actually a great guitarist. He
1: uh, was Tigers of Pantang, I think, at that I'm time. I'm the
2: rated guitarist.
1: And he had the backing vocals as well, much like our friend yep. Adrian.
2: Much like Adrian. kind of He kind of uh, crafted the role of Adrian. Yeah.
1: Adrian kind of slid into that into that role.
2: Yeah. And we talked recently with Matthias and with Henrik about Adrian's skyrocket career as a guitarist, coming in as a... He was the rhythm guitarist and singer in his band, in Urchin and also in Broadway Brats. And then now you listen to The Prisoner and the lead work. He's a guitar hero within like a couple of years. It's pretty cool. I don't
1: know if it was with... Oh to smit guitar or whatever it was but it's it's um adrian talking about how he was he had all these songs but he was nervous but he felt like if he didn't come forward and tell his band say to this band this is my stuff and i don't know if you're gonna like it but he said if i didn't do that then i would be i would be stale and i would be unhappy in the band did you see that article
2: send it to me because i haven't seen it but connected to adrian even a few years later even in 86 he wasn't really uh, confident to show wasted years yeah, it was more I like know, Steve I found know. And, that, it.
1: and that's what he was saying in this article he's saying how you know, I I was I was really nervous. but then I said to myself if I don't do this, if I don't contribute to this band, I'm going to be really unhappy and I'm not going to be yes. able to produce anything
2: He said he found his place because Steve was writing longer and longer songs you know rhyme was coming about and he kind of found his place in doing the the I guess with for lack of a better word sensible hard rock like two minutes which is still quite epic actually if you look at it but but yeah he found his way in there and he needed it Adrian I would argue is not just a musician I think he's kind of the guy that picked up the guitar to write songs and it strengthens that argument that he was a singer in the early bands and that's been pretty prolific writer and I, I feel the same like I never got into guitar because I felt guitar was so cool Like Whoa, I want to play guitar and show everybody how good I'm at that it was a tool for writing songs which i've done ever since i started no matter if i've been active on stage or not so i think adrian could be similar which makes it really cool that he is such a good guitarist though he's so good so that's just cool and yeah the band must have felt it a major songwriting force leaves and maybe if we turn it around adrian probably felt it like with the direction because he he he
1: wasn't happy with the direction of the band and that's why he left
2: Yeah, and we know he left during production or pre-production, writing. When the writing came together for this record, that's when he left. And probably he felt like, like you said, the place for him in the band was very important to him as a songwriter, as a contributor. And he probably felt like where they are going, there's no room really for what I want to do.
1: Which is interesting because if you think about the fact that his songwriting is, as we've said, you know, kind of catchy, radio-friendly, whatever. When you go to you, word, when you go to you go to like okay so you've got you've got um seven son right and so that's their quote unquote Prague album if they stayed on that that trajectory right it would have been e- Prague right and then but instead they didn't yeah and so it's interesting that he was like even they're going back to their roots and he's like yeah I'm out where he wouldn't yeah. be like yeah this is great I'm gonna do a bunch of really short catchy songs. It'll
2: be great. Yeah, but I mean, he was probably maybe the one that could really feel like there's no sense in us trying to do killers now. We are not those guys. But uh, yeah, I thought we'd dive into the song deeper, but you brought up 1990, so I had to have a look at it. And there's a few, like, you can draw a few conclusions what happened there. Uh, Amorphis, you mentioned last episode, they started 1990. Uh, At the Gate started 1990. Brutal Truth. Started nineteen ninety, Centenex, another Swedish um, death metal man, Converge, American uh, sort of hardcore. The Crown, more like death metal, I guess you could call that. Or so it's like there's new stuff happening, but it's happening more in the in the underground.
1: Pantera is like you know uh, yeah Cowboys from
2: Hell is great I think is
1: biggest things in sliced bread.
2: CN started um, uh, there. Tool got the start as well. Like it's a and one of those well most years I guess if you frame it that way it could be a a turning point. But I feel it's a bit of a turning point. And I've said before and you can either confirm or deny it, that I feel like this is when it started to move over heavily to the state side.
1: Thrash and Metalcore, right? The hardcore right those two in this case. Those two are really uh, American quote unquote inventions or for lack of a better word or whatever. And (laughs) and that really it absolutely did. It absolutely did. And, you know, the the underground stuff was the the power metal, the Swedish. Yeah, some
2: Swedish death metal hybrids started out like in flames. and
1: That was more underground. But it, it was out there.
2: It was super underground at this time. Maybe Jacques Chalden in Florida had heard it. Evil Chuck, as he was yeah. known then. He might have heard it oh, via tape trading, but right. um, obviously was not in any way established. No, it
1: wasn't. It wasn't. At
2: that time. But you get like uh, the American bands again, like Megadeth, Rust in Peace. You got Slayer, Seasons in the Abyss. You got Cowboys from Hell, Pantera. And, um, you know, I feel like it's moving stateside. It's going stateside for the stuff I like anyway. You know, the stuff I like, it's moving away from Britain. It's just starting in Sweden. So you can't count Sweden yet. That's later. Uh, Except for like Europe and Bathory and a couple of OGs. Uh, It's all going to America now. And I feel like, you know, uh, maybe that was the right thing.
1: You know it was i mean if it's 1990 and you've got iron maiden and pantera right mm. it's apples and oranges
2: yeah and arguably cowboys from hell is so much better than no prayer
1: oh god yeah and no, then so.
2: it is more heavy metal in a way too it's more heavy metal songs like medicine man or uh, psycho holiday they're more heavy metal
1: it's where metal was going and that's where you start to see where you really start to see subgenres i mean there had always always kind of sort of been subgenres but this is this is where you're mm. seeing legit subgenres where you if you go into a record store or whatever there's subgenres of metal there's yes. like there's there's hardcore there's thrash there's death there's it's black there's black there's power there's you know what i mean there's all there's Now there's all of a sudden there is real separation between the subgenres, which created a situation where there was a lot of metalheads that really planted their flag someplace. If you were planting your flag in the thrash yard, you're not Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden's not your band. Maybe they were 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever, but they're not now.
2: I think this is a great point. I've thought a lot about this year, but never really, that's a a succinct way to explain what it was. And if you look at what happened, bands starting like Amorphis, At The Gates, In Flames, all sort of in the death metal realm, and all Iron Maiden fans, they loved Iron Maiden. I've talked to them directly, I had to confirm directly that they loved Iron Maiden, but it sounded so different to Maiden, what they were doing. Clearly something had changed, because they were not doing Killers.
1: No, they processed it differently. (laughs)
2: I means some magic, okay, Henrik, a little music theory on uh, public animal number one. I asked you to come in and fill in here. And uh, yes. you told me it's an E minor. What else? Uh,
0: what else? Do you want me to go through the keys? <laughs> or <do you> just... <laughs> no, no, that,
2: that was just like, uh, I guess, a starting no. point.
0: Uh, is, it this is, a, yeah. is this a song you like? I've never been a huge fan of it, oddly enough, because it's mm-hmm. one of the very... I think it's a very well-balanced composition and everything. And, yeah. it's, and it's one of the songs on No Pray of the Dying that sort of keeps that maiden... It has the harmony guitars and stuff like that. So it has... Even thirds, right? Even thirds, yeah. yeah. So it has this kind of... You can see the lineage from the 80s really yep. in that, yeah
2: probably why i like it i mean when we started this podcast many many moves back i told you that ah oh, fate's warning is my fave on the album you're like what fate's warning yep. what? what are you talking about <laughs> and now i kind of don't feel that i don't hear that and it's moved over to this one but that's tail gunner aside i should yeah say. Mm. but uh, <laughs> of course but i think it's because it's traditional i think it's like a basic bitch moment on my part just like uh, feels good <laughs> you know Uh, I never played it before. I played it through now. And it is indeed quite traditional. Like uh, the intro melody, for example, with the thirds. Mm. It's like a very standard E minor
0: type climb, right? Yeah, it is. And And the thing is also, um, as far as I understand it, I mean, it's difficult to tell when Dave and Steve have written a tune. But now, Mm -hmm. this time, it's Dave and Bruce. Right. And... As I understand it, Bruce only wrote the lyrics, which is interesting. Is this then Dave's sort of like emulation of an Iron Maiden melody, harmonies and stuff? Did he work all that out? Or was that something that came automatically when they rehearsed it later?
2: You know what? It's been something we've been onto, right? Like uh, listen to Dave's solo in Holy Smoke. There's a lot of Smith in there. Mm. Uh, He's trying, I think, his best and... In my opinion, almost, well, almost, I don't know if almost, but in my opinion, he gets somewhere in filling in for Adrian, both in composition and in his solos as yeah. well. And in this song, you got um, something that uh, Ben might call a climber of a riff, also in the chorus, mm. with uh, that is very Adrian, I think.
0: Exactly. It's an Adrian riff. Yeah, it is. And because if Steve would have written it, he wouldn't have done that uh inverted chord on the, mm. the, the inverted G chord with the over B he would have done a, a regular B minor really so yeah i think that's a that's a very guitarist moment of the writing process i guess i like those chords
2: but mm. uh, are they too uh, leading for you i remember that was also years ago you told me that cuz yeah. i like uh, harmonic minor and you were like is it harmonic minor i felt it's a bit cheating because it leads so Clearly into the tonic or into the key of the song. Yeah, it's similar with those stretched power chords. You could call them, more, you know, easy, yeah, easy, mm. easy chords. But I tend to like that. I like smooth, you know, <laughs> smooth
0: uh, voicings. It's it sort of depends on how they're on how they're used. I mean, in this case, it's since the chorus is in A minor, you get that lead thing going from from the yeah basically the G in into the C then. So you would you could argue you have a dominant thing going but, but I, di- I don't think it works like that in the No, not really.
2: It's more of a feel thing because I remembered that just now that uh, yeah. m- maybe it's yeah. like maybe we're not alike in that sense because uh, I recall you saying that yeah. oh that's yeah, cheating I, or something like that because yeah, I'm but, not so such a fan of the minor seventh actually. That kind of okay, you know, yeah. whole tone. I like the whole tone scale. Mm. Cuz I like uh, Robert Fripp yeah. But uh but, but <laughs> uh, I I prefer the half tones, half tone feel and you get a little bit more of that in this song, a little bit less of the rock rola yeah thing. But
0: that. I think I think that's the thing that's sort of I think that's Dave that we hear here, that he do he's mm. doing this a bit more guitarically, if that's a word. And if it's not I made it up now. It is a word so, now, good word. Yeah. <laughs> but and I think and I think it's sort of it works because it, it gives it a, a different kind of feel harmonically. Yep. And also I don't I don't know I had to listen to it before we went on to this uh, conversation and one thing that I never thought about is that there's some kind of syncopating going on with one of the guitars during the verses. Mm. It's always like <clears throat> but they're not it's not like in Wickerman where you get the da 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 is is they're they're just hanging on there could that be Jan? That feels like a rocking old Jan. It's it's sort of sounding it's in the general direction of the right speaker so it might be Jan actually but it's still it gives it a very different feel I think.
2: Yep. I was thinking about that key switch in the chorus to A minor. If there's any other tune that would do a similar thing. The only one I could come up with was um, out of the Silent Planet precourse has a little bit of that going on, I think. I don't know that one well enough. There might be another, uh, but uh, I mean it's not the very typical key change. Is no, it? I mean, Warriors have... has a bit of that thing going on and even Prowler when they go to to the F it's almost yeah. like the, the F would be the sixth
0: in, in A minor, uh, for which the yeah, you see me crawling thing, you know. Through the bougies, yeah, yeah. But, but I think you have changes like that in Two Minutes to Midnight, where you have the verses in A and then you have the bridge in E. Oh the... Um, yeah. Yeah. I like that verse. That's another it, one with the guitarist. <laughs> it's very it's very gu- guitaristy. Whatever I said. Yeah. Uh, Guitaristic. So <laughs> yeah, so they do have these things, and I, I'm sure they're all over the place if you start looking, but I haven't really thought about it in those terms, so mm. Yeah. I'm not sure. So I, uh, When I bought this
2: album way back when, this was my least favorite song. I think it was because of the title, actually, but I already discussed that plenty with Melissa anyway, but I felt like, because for some reason I knew what it was. I think it was because mm. of filking Blame Järtfjäring on TV3. Yeah, TV well, three. We, so, can, we can
0: blame TV3 for a lot of things. I yeah, think. Yes. So
2: <laughs> even that melody in the start was like a, a bit of a fecal melody the <laughs> first time I heard it, and I had a hard time shaking
0: it as a kid. Okay, but, uh, that's, that's no really problem anymore, but th- the title still stinks. Yeah, L- it literally, does. literally, yeah. Mm. But I mean, but I mean, that's the thing with this album. You have "Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter." It's also very. N- nonsensically jocular in a buskis really, yeah buskis yeah let's use a lot of swedish words no <laughs> yeah. i mean you use that
2: for we can we can kind of make it a thing but uh, because this mm. is uh, the most buskis album i would say
0: i think it is yeah
2: even tail gunner is like uh, i think it's named after a porn flick
0: it is well the, uh, bruce claims it is so yeah. we'll have to <laughs> take his word on it
2: he also likes to take responsibility for the way this album turned out
0: he's done that several times in interviews He's done that but he's also been lamenting it. So I, I don't yeah. maybe that's that's an effect of him taking responsibility because he's actually he he was into the idea but then he understood that he didn't really like yeah what, what came out of it.
2: Another effect is them never playing anything off this record, I think. Yeah,
0: which I think is very boring.
2: I think that's on Bruce probably. Bruce is like, nah, let's not. But uh, I mean Bring Your Order is a
0: killer live track i think can be i mean there's a lot of stuff i mean there's loads of albums that are that they are neglecting i mean you have all the albums brave new world up until the current the current album really usually never gets an airing so
2: true. i mean the second to last and the third to last if there's even a phrase but uh, those haven't been repeated at all i think since, mm. since their tours, but uh, we're not there. And also, I will mention in, like, in this topic, uh, Killers is usually quite neglected as well.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: Overall. But okay, music theory on this track is mm-hmm. another thing. Uh, they move up to B minor. I in, think in, that's for the solo, ex- yeah. Kind mm. of exciting for me. It works, that little... Because um, it's not straight into... I mean, they quite often modulate up when the solo hits. But yeah. it's a little uh, interlude. I think it's
0: a good interlude. But but isn't it a sort of uh, for, for, forgive me if I'm misremembering this? But isn't it sort of like you know they're using this kind of true thing going, yeah, and then it sort of builds into the <laughs> 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 is, yeah. something, right? Mm. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, and then the soloing is over the it's over the. Uh, basic progression of the chorus, but it's in B minor instead of A minor. And I think that's very effective, and you don't have to throw in a lot of different riffs and stuff like that, which has become commonplace in Unmade nowadays. But then they made use of the material they already had, but varied it a bit. And I think that's a very good... It's very good songwriting, I think.
2: Yeah, a smooth song. Mm. Uh, I don't think you're a fan of Judas, My Guide, but I am. And I think this is a brother... A little brother, or oh, elder brother, you should say, probably,
0: of, of that track. In a way, it's that smoothness, yeah. you know, and a little, 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 little bit of AR in there as well. A, that's La-da. a bit of it. Yeah, exactly. And I can see, I can see in, in terms of tempo and stuff, it's sort of like in the same.
2: Yeah, and also the um, park. Well, overall simplicity in terms of um, not, like you said, not adding tons of parts. It's hmm. kind of cohesive, kind of nice. Uh, yeah. I like the track. Um, I'm not sure if it's. I guess Tail Gunner is the best on, on the album. I I, guess, for me,
0: it's definitely without a question, but that's not what this episode is about, no. I guess.
2: <laughs> this podcast,
0: we, we, uh, we
2: argued that this podcast might be about Tail Gunner in the end. Let's see. Let's yeah.
0: see. <laughs> I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to say that, for me, for me at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the, right. this, that song has grown out of proportion now. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't think...
2: Um, I, we figured it would be a short segment this one because there's not Mm. that much to say about it Uh, it's nicely written yeah it is kind of neat unlike the
0: title yeah well the title is i mean bruce was given a little bit too much of a free hand i think yeah and i think he wanted to modernize but he didn't really know how to i i think that's a that might be a very good analysis actually yes but Mm. of course uh, me and melissa discussed this i think plenty it's,
2: it's been a while and we did the whole two-hour prowler before and then we were on a few beers and it was late so Mm -hmm. let's see what's in this episode i don't know Uh, would you put
0: it on the list i'm not gonna say if we did uh i will not do that right i I don't think it's i don't think it i'm not really you know knocking the song but it's not it doesn't really do anything that other songs have done for me before that so what 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 are you missing
2: is it uh too smooth or too even or too friendly even it's, musically it's, that too,
0: it's a bit too friendly that's a, i mean that's a good way of putting it it's it doesn't really offer anything that and i mean the, i mean it's since we did the passiondale episode i mean that's the song that i really felt added something to Iron maidens canon in a way yeah and this one really doesn't and i mean it has two minutes to midnight and it has the other songs in the sort of like mid-tempo to fastish songs going so yeah, the chorus reminds me of Flight
2: of Icarus pre-chorus a little bit. Mm. Speaking of Adrian Riffs, so it is maybe a little bit potpourri, you and, know? Um, yeah. pick and choose and, of, of the old maiden, and I guess I'm into that.
0: And speaking of, of uh, *Twins to Midnight* anal- analogy, we have also the uh, the chorus is in the half tempo of the uh,
2: right, right. Yeah. I think, that's, this and that's, is, uh, that's a
0: bit of a neat thing because I think it works. It, yeah. it makes it better. It varies the dynamics a bit.
2: I think that's the discovery, or you know, conclusion for this little thing is that it seems like Dave is trying to channel Adrian here. I think, I think maybe might even be to by the sign, you know, looking yeah. at some Adrian tunes and looking at Flight Vickers mm-hmm. or um, Two Minutes to Midnight and, and and trying to get a bit of that in there, which is wise. I think is wise. People miss him.
0: Yeah, and also we must not forget that, as far as I understand, Adrian was part of the initial rehearsals for material for the to be a new album so he might have been in there influencing dave's choices in mm. the arrangement or something i don't know i haven't got a clue i just just dawned on me now so yeah well the usual lowdown is that he quit during
2: pre-production that's what yeah. you read and that's uh, maybe a bit rare i haven't heard so many cases of that no like, like uh, he, he's basically disappointed with where it's going yeah, and he's got it on tape, <laughs> mm. to, to like uh, pr- uh, as proof to himself. Like no, no, no not gonna th- do this.
0: This wasn't what I w- wanted to do. And uh,
2: so, uh, actually, I have to ask you though: uh, silver and gold. It's worse, right? It's not as good as No Prayer.
0: It's something totally different, and I was never a fan of the AOR music that mm. that that makes up that album. But I still I can still listen to it. But it's all is always going to be of some kind of nostalgia for me. I mean, I bought the album in 1989, 90, something like that, and listened to it very much because, oh, it's Adrian from Iron Maiden. I have to listen to this. I have to love it. Uh, right. So I can't really judge it. Uh, you recall there being like soberly. a good song?
2: Lion or something? I don't remember. The
0: Lion is a song that I think is okay. It's a B-side called Fighting Man that I seem to remember is okay. I don't know. <laughs>
2: Fighting man and lion—it's almost going to be Monty Python.
0: I want to be a lion. (laughs) I want to be a lion tamer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. So we'll send the the listener back with um, a little bit of uh, silver and (music) golden.
0: this gay banter, I can say without fear of contradiction, that
1: the ideal job for you is accountancy. Oh, I am an accountant. (laughs) good. Well, back to the office with you then. No, you don't understand.
0: I've been an accountant for the last 20 years. But I want a new job. Something exciting that will let me live. An accountancy is quite exciting, isn't it? Exciting? No, it's not. It's dull. 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 My God, it's dull. But you see, in your report here, (laughs) says that you are an extremely dull person no sense of humor tedious company and irrepressibly draven awful and whereas in most professions these would be considerable drawbacks in accountancy they are a positive
1: boon do you have any idea of what you want to be
0: yes yes i have what is it a lion tamer a lion
1: tamer a lion tamer when prowler we talked about how whatever how creepy the song is whatever but it was fun and there was, there was spirit to it. And it's sort of mostly like... mostly we
2: had fun this whole, with it,
1: This fun. whole album feels void of fun. It yeah. seems like a chore.
2: Yes, yes, I agree with that.
1: And John was talking in the last episode about, you know, those albums that you have to, like, release because you owe your record company an album. And that's yes, what this album feels vibe. like to me. It feels like the, oh, my God... We got to get out of our contract, and we got one more album to do, and that's what I. Fe- that's what I've always felt like this album was. It was just sort of like a stopgap, or yes. whatever.
2: Let's dive into the song again. Play a bit of it, original version this time.
1: Yes. I like oh, it. My problem is in Bruce kicks in with those vocals.
2: Yeah, it's very constipated.
1: <laughs> That's where I have to talk. About.
2: I love this part. Half time, yeah. And then it goes full time. It's quite engaging.
1: I love this
2: part. And then that little feel over. I never really noticed before when it hands around. The section rocking. there
1: is dynamite, and then it goes back to the whole weird raspy voice. Thing.
2: Yeah, we spent most of this episode explaining why we don't like No Prayer, but I gotta say I quite like this song. I think it's a good song.
1: It's one of the better songs on the album for me.
2: Yeah, top two for me.
1: And I love the chorus. Yeah? I really like the intro. Yeah, me too. I have two problems with this song. Okay. One is I don't like the title, and two, I don't like bruce's vocals in the uh verses
2: yeah and those those are pretty much overhauling the whole tune right yeah no matter how you dice it or slice it it's gonna affect the whole experience that fucking title is so bad (laughs) it's so bad but if you (laughs) see this
1: if you see this live it's totally different
2: i'd love to see this live thing they do, fall on your knees they bring it down to halftime it's a bit rare for Maiden to do that they don't often do that and I agree with you it's great, I didn't like it as a kid but I think as a kid also the, the title just didn't work for me because I already knew what anima was <laughs> like, why would don't Armaiden want... address this Maiden to... should address like Seven Sons and Power Slave you know, like Rhyme you, of the you know what's, what, enema, what, what, what's weird
1: about this? The, the song title is we talked about on the last episode we talked about dumbing the dumbing down or whatever and how dumb it is. And it seems like <laughs> yeah. they were so highbrow for so long and then they just kinda dumbed it down.
2: Yeah, no, no, it's it's not okay. But uh, we'll we'll play a bit further. It's actually a quite brief song too, four minutes thirteen, so it's not that long. <laughs> he actually says Funkland number one. You
1: know, yes. we heard
0: that.
2: A note where the Steve Harris's bass in the chorus, great. Absolutely. And this part I absolutely love. It is a bit hair metal, but it's good how the erasers here the bass comes in higher adds tension I think it's brilliant
1: It's funny because I just noticed something that you had said earlier. Well, oh. this was kind of hair metally or whatever. A
2: little bit, only a little bit.
1: It, but I but think da, that da, da, you. Da, da, but da, da, I think you touched on to something about the fact that this this guitar solo is a kind of an late eighties, early nineties guitar solo. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I definitely see that.
2: A little bit towards that, maybe because guitar solos were still cool. Later in the 90s, guitar solos yep. was a no go. Yeah, that was a thing, it didn't In 1990, suit. they still, they were
1: still, uh, still a bit of a
2: rage, yes. But uh, I have to say, I love this solo. I think it's great. I think it's melodic. I think it's, uh, Dave is stepping outside of his comfort zone. He is trying to fill the shoes. I
1: would love to interview Dave to ask him about like this whole period about like how, what was his relationship with Adrian when he left the band and, you know. Yeah.
2: actually i think dave is the most funny guy in the band too oh
1: yeah he's quietly funny
2: yeah it's very subtle of a rock and roll ending some david ad libs yeah we'll stand by it one of my faves on this record one of the two best i think but uh, let's have a look at the lyrics just for fun since we did uh, prowler just now we can compare them see if is this this better is this uh, saying more uh you know it's just an interesting comparison prowler versus this yeah one.
1: it's a weird comparison
2: very weird i think no one did it before yeah <laughs> I never looked into these lyrics before. So when it all comes down the line and the lights, they turn to greed. So, okay. It sounds political at that point. Uh, and you race off with your tire screaming, rolling thunder. and The people choke with poison. Children cry in fear, but you got one last bullet, one ticket out of here. Quite dark. He's talking about suicide.
1: No, I think what he's talking about is where like, um, you, start a bomb but i don't mean like a literal bomb but i mean you you like you light it up and then you head out you know what i mean then you you cause chaos and then you slip out that's what that's i what the get the fuse is lyrics. for
2: right the fuse is for you yeah to that's that's what i presence. get
1: from those lyrics is that somebody has like incendiary has caused whatever whether it's um an action or it's uh um it's a verbal thing, you know, is there something in the press, or it's whatever. The press comes later on in the the song anyway, but that's what I get. I get incendiary, they set something up and then they Mm. screw it out of there.
2: Yeah. Actually, yeah, now you say it, because what I hear is like a description of society. Yeah,
1: cause a problem, and then you slip out the back door.
2: Yeah, and that maybe is closer to it than suicide with that one last bullet. It's not really for your head, it's more like... I
1: don't think it's literally a bullet, I think it's just
2: yes yes it's almost like
1: a um a molotov cocktail but not a literal molotov cocktail but like
2: so then going into the chorus does it change perspective you think saying fall on your knees today pray the world would mend its ways get to your feet again refugees from the heartbreak and the pain is that a different perspective
1: i think it's that it's it's like them telling the person like you you cause a huge problem and now the earth the world is in a in turmoil or whatever you want to repent and sort of bring it back, so that we can, we can get off this brink, whatever this brink is.
2: Yeah, I think that's better than anything I could come up with at the moment. So I'll just, I'll just co-sign.
1: Just co-sign.
2: Next verse: In the cities, in the streets, there's a tension you can feel. So that feels like again society or the state of of the world or society. Uh, the breaking strain is fast approaching. Guns and riots, riots, riots. Echo on that one uh it's quite ex- self-explanatory isn't it this part the politicians gamble and lie to save their skin fast forward to uh be quick or be dead on the next record their bellies in the ivory towers
1: they're definitely uh not loving uh who's in power no no
2: and the press get <laughs> fed their scapegoats public animal number one I actually like that line the press get fed their scapegoats yeah. That's yeah. still so much the case. It's so much the case still today. Absolutely. Like, well, there I'm, are those scapegoats. The thing about
1: where, this yeah. song is the lyrics are actually timeless,
2: unlike so Prowler, so good,
1: Unlike say. the Prowler lyrics that are... Yeah, okay, so yeah, yeah we were
2: just, supposed to... go oh, yeah, I'm, we I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I got to, edit to myself.
1: I'm, I apologize, listener.
2: No, 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 it's good that you brought it back, because okay. we were supposed to do that. I said so. And yes, these are better. These are better lyrics than Prowler, I would say. But uh, one last verse. A million network slaves... That's interesting. Maybe you have an uh, idea of that. See internet is internet, not really I there yet. Uh, the internet is like, there's a couple of It's still new, there. but yeah, yeah, maybe not. But it could be TV. Yeah, mean. could be. Yeah, Network slaves. In an advertising yeah. age. That advertising. There's yeah. advertising. Like when I, I got the commercial TV as a kid. The, whoa, it was a lot of advertising. Yeah. And we didn't have nearly as much as you guys. No. So that was another level. It is another yeah. level. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, the Wild West. Uh then this comes, I don't need a crystal ball to sell you, your children have more brains than your drug infested remains. That getting kind of convoluted for me. What do you think about that?
1: That's a weird thing. I don't know if he's trying to say like the next generation has their shit together better than you do.
2: Yeah, maybe.
1: That's kind of what I get. Like maybe like the next generation is going to like fix it.
2: Yeah, and then it's just California dreaming as the earth dies screaming. Makes me think of Tom Waits, makes me think of Red Hot Chili Peppers a little bit.
1: Well, uh, that's the that, 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 that whole thing, hawking uh, back to how California dreaming and, and that whole yeah. idea of utopia and that whole idea of, you know, whatever, um, of, you know, peace on earth and all goodwill to men and all that. And that's not a real thing.
2: So here's the kicker, though good having an american on for this because i feel in this period bruce was bruce was a little bit pissed off with america i just said earlier this episode that heavy music moved to america yep. and you know, of course you had guns and roses a few years prior even yep. and then i listened to that bootleg and bruce is like saying these off-handed remarks about america like
1: you can do that thing they do in america where they set fire to the back of everybody's head with a lighter it's called
2: he seems to be in a position where he's afraid that England is losing hard rock. America is gaining it, which also was the case. What do you think?
1: Well, so it goes back to, funny enough, I, I listened to a um, history podcast called The Rest is History, which is out of the UK. And one of the people that does the podcast, he's a historian and, a, and an author. And he write. funny enough, he writes about America in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And he talks about the fact that England... Even the you know whatever past the war and all this kind of stuff in the in the seventy in the sixties late sixties and seventies and eighties America became the dominant force in the world. That's where we became the superpower.
2: Yeah, I was raised with American culture for sure. Right,
1: right, um, and 90s. it wasn't that way before Beatlemania and all that. It was you know the um, yes. invasion with you know all the band you know Rolling Stones, etc. So I think there is a little bit of animosity that, and I don't know if it's the British at large have
2: Bruce for sure though,
1: but that the mantle is being passed. And you talk about how I think it's just not just in music; I think it's in general. American culture had become very prominent throughout the world. Mm, true, and I think maybe Maiden. In general, and maybe specifically, I don't know, but Maiden in general was feeling that feeling because yes, prior to that, the years prior to that, right? America has started to be dominant because it was all about LA,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all the LA scene. How's it strip? It's all that, right? And San Francisco for the thrash,
2: Bay Area. Yes,
1: those are the two in the late 80s and early 90s, those are the two dominant places. As far as the epicenters, as far as music, depending on whatever genre music you like, it is L.A. and San Francisco.
2: And then Seattle comes in, America. And then
1: Seattle comes in, Florida Death Metal, which is a whole underground.
2: Very important to me, but not to the general public at that time. To
1: me as well, but not to anybody else. But you're right. So it just, it's like there is this wave that went up the coast. It went from Los Angeles, San Francisco, up, up. To Seattle, I went right up the coast, yeah. and yeah, I think there is a little bit of animosity there, where you're just kind of like, "We started this. We yeah. started the new wave of British heavy metal, which all these bands have drawn on. And you can say whatever you want, whatever, but all these bands drew on on the new wave of British heavy metal. They all grew yeah. up with it in one way or another. Yes, yeah, whatever. They all grew up with it. Kurt Cobain loved his Maiden. Absolutely, know, killer, killer Skateboard. Absolutely, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. It goes on and yep. on and on. Slayer, Testament. Slayer Exodus. loved
2: Maiden so much. They were, they were all about Maiden, Priest, and Merciful Fate, really. It, when yeah. They
1: started. Slayer, Exodus, uh, Exodus Testament, Megadeth. everybody. They all love it, They, right? love they all Slayer. Yeah, regular. Right, they all did. So it's kind of a weird, I think it's probably a weird thing to pass the baton. And I think that there may have been some weird feelings to, to feel like, Because he probably didn't feel like an old man, but in rock world, he was kind of an old man, and you're sort of passing it. So now all the people that grew up listening to you are now on the radio, are now selling out shows, are, are now...
2: At the peak of their discographies. Right. Arguably.
1: I mean, it's probably satisfying and weird at the same time. It's an interesting point.
2: Really, it is. Because they are not that old. So I feel like... And this is probably what they did wrong. But I want you to feel in on this: that they started to get inspired, but by the guys that were inspired by them. Which is weird, because it's
1: like yeah, that is the weird part,
2: isn't it? You know what it's like? It's like eating.
1: It's like eating your own. It's like a weird. It's like a cannibalistic thing.
2: It is. It is. It's the wrong way around somehow, and that's what I always felt like going nerdy about this. But
1: I don't know if they got. Here's the thing: is I don't know if they got inspired by them but they just felt like maybe they needed to jump on the bandwagon.
2: Threatened, most likely. Threatened by them. Threatened, exactly. So now you're threatened
1: by the people that you inspired. And it's it's a weird cannibalism. It's just a weird infectious thing. Incestuous, almost. It's like a weird... I agree. It's a weird thing. But, you know, the thing is, is that you can't fault them because you weren't there sort of living it. And I don't think yes. it felt like that in real time to them because you have to remember that everybody kind of tried to jump on that sort of bandwagon or whatever. I mean, every hair metal band did like their nineties album. Yeah. Right. And, you know, Saxon, Tried to evolve they did their hair metal thing they tried to evolve with the time every like everybody trying to ch- they want to stay relevant everybody's trying to stay relevant and listen this is a business everybody's trying to sell their product
2: yeah actually I have an example there from last time from Prowler Steve not a fan of punk but you can't escape the context you're in you can hear punk there and for me when I started 2004 about then, there was new metal, it was Meshuggah, it was all that rhythmic shit. I was all about the melodic shit, but you can hear in my early songs that there are some like the kick drums, are, doo-ga-doo-doo, 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 and you can hear it on Blaze Bailey, Silicon Messiah, Brilliant album, but you can hear a bit of that new metal vibe there because you can't escape the time you're in, no matter how much you want to. You can't. Yeah.
1: you can't, and you can't, the other thing is, and you can't, and I learned this a long time ago, I can evolve, I can like new music and I can like all this stuff. But I cannot pretend that I'm a different age than I am or that I grew up differently than I did or that I got the albums that I got in real time. I can't I can't pretend I'm 35 years old because I'm not. And so you have to embrace who you are and where you come from. And then you can still you can you can do both things. They're not mutually mutually exclusive. You can do both things. You can love the stuff that you grew up with. I've had an argument with somebody about this. You uh-huh. can do that and still be and still keep your ear to what's new and what's yeah. fresh. Yeah. You can do both. Yes. And I try to do both.
2: Yeah, I think you succeed with doing both. I mean, I know from your show that you you've kept updated, but you're still telling your story, which is central to this, right? Like we tell our stories.
1: I have a nephew, and he's not much He's actually not much younger than me. He's like 48 years old. Uh Anyway, he's going to see Madonna. He's a massive Madonna fan. Now, I'm not a Madonna fan, but he's over the moon to go to this show. And I'm so excited for him because go do your thing.
2: Yeah, my sister was uh, so into uh, Madonna, dressing up like her and all of that. You know, she's born in 78, so perfect for it. Yeah, absolutely. When I see those old photos, I feel it's very cool. It's like, uh, you know, a tribute uh, show, the tribute show I do. Yeah, Whatever I like
1: you're into, just just be you. And, and know, and here's the thing about the cool thing about the internet is that you can, it's easier to find because for a long time I was an island. For a mm-hmm. very long time I was an island and then I found that there were more people out there like me and so you can find your people.
2: Yes, it was a great discovery. I wasn't, I mean, I was more raised with the internet, but I wasn't ready for that positive a surprise. Uh, like an early example would be Talking Maiden that we mentioned before. I see, okay, there's a Maiden podcast. No way it's going to be nerdy enough, was my initial thought. Yeah. I listened for one episode. It's like. And then Nesbitt oh, yeah. went, hold, this hold my this beer. Nesbitt is, is a super nerd. <laughs> this is great. I'm going to listen until they end. And I did.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So. We've said a lot of things about 1990, Iron Maiden in 1990. Identity Crisis, Bruce is the Angry Fox. Um, the song has a disgusting title that makes no fucking sense. Couldn't see any Maiden fan praising this title. So we got all that in there. A lot of negativity or critical thoughts from us. Not really negativity. But have we said anything bad about the actual song or the actual lyrics? I don't think so. It seems like, well, I can speak for myself. I quite like this song.
1: Lyrically but and music. I the song too. I don't, yeah. not listen disclosure does it make the 50 no but doesn't mean i don't like the song mm.
2: i will put it in there but it's one Would of you? those that, yeah i will but it's also one of those there's plenty of these that are probably not gonna stay i just feel like they deserve the consideration it's like you know an oscar nominee but it's just gonna be a nominee
1: you know it's it's like these two weird albums that have these weird songs and mm-hmm. some of them are, i mean there's Yes. The songs I love on Fear, I mean, Fear of the Dark has the two, we've said this before, the two worst Iron Maiden songs in the history of Iron Maiden, but it also has a couple of some really great songs, too.
2: Yeah. The good ones are really good, but that's what makes that album such a disappointment in general. It's just like, it almost wastes those good songs But it's having a lot of crap. Like, Weekend Warrior comes in after Judas My Guide. You could have gone from as My right Guide now. to the title track. But you have to mm. land like what you're going to do on Monday.
1: Oh my God. What are God. you going to do
2: on Monday, Melissa? It's <laughs>
1: terrible. It's just like, it goes from, I love Judas Be My Guide for the soldier. And then it just goes.
2: It could go straight to the title track and write
1: down the shitter. That would be strong. But they had to go there.
2: They had to go there to support culture, the the hooligan culture. But
1: I mean, the thing about No Prayer is just, I don't think it's a bad album. I think that it's. It's not necessarily an inspired album.
2: A lot of people put it at their bottom, including you.
1: It's my bottom. Yeah. It's my bottom. Yeah. It's it's not inspired. It's wrought with problem. Mm. Uh, Bruce's vocals suck. No, they Adrian. Kind of stuck, yes. <laughs> like
2: just, how you just... Shorten it into, they suck. <laughs>
1: there's nothing else to say. Do. They kind of suck. <laughs> and, Actually, yeah. and it's just like, you know, it doesn't... It just doesn't really, the whole thing doesn't really work. And the weirdest thing, and I think this is the reason why No Prayer ranks so low, is just because what it came after.
2: Yeah. You've written this amazing album, Seventh Sun, and then you go into the studio and you sit on a fart pillow. It is a bit like that, really, like it is. <laughs>
1: exactly. So compared to exactly. Seven Sun, it's a bit like but a But here's pillow. my question to you, and this is an interesting question, huh? is right. do you think that the album No Prayer would work better in a different spot in the discography
2: i think there's material on there that it wouldn't be enough but it could be a big chunk of a much better album later maybe or earlier maybe hard to say later or earlier i have to make my mind up but i think like at least half of it is material that could have translated to a better product yes if that's in any way answering the question
1: a lot of people have said you take this album and you move it you know you move it to i don't know somewhere else but uh-huh. see i can't really see i mean the only way you could kind of move it to maybe the third album is if bruce hadn't joined the band yet
2: yeah it's hard to move it
1: maybe diano singing those songs
2: mm, diano would do some of them better perhaps
1: yeah well i mean is you know then that would be the third album uh, and then you would wait uh, for. it we'll all the
2: way back to eighty like, two. Like that's what I'm saying. If it, like,
1: uh-huh. That's what I'm saying is: Do you think that that could that's be wild? If you take that and you move it,
2: wow, that's wild. forward, but it's actually more interesting to move it backward.
1: Even if you, but if you moved it forward, where would you put it?
2: Ninety seven or something.
1: Is blazing singing those songs then?
2: Ah uh, well, yeah, no, no, he's hopefully not. I, I don't look forward to hear Blaze sing these songs.
1: So that's what like. That, where are you gonna where would you you can't put that album really it's a weird because you yeah. definitely don't want to put it like 2000
2: the most reasonable is what you exemplified now 82 is the most reasonable but it's still not reasonable
1: but if you do that Paul you got sings. two uh, you got two options there right you get two options uh, or sings it or bruce is coming to the band and this is your introduction to bruce
2: yeah and if well, that's an
1: introduction to Bruce, is he singing the songs like this shit, or is he singing Bruce?
2: As much as I love the thought experiment, it's too wild. <laughs> like, it is. It's, it's the whole too thing. Is just, to, it is. Yeah, it it's is. Too it's, wild. Like,
1: it's like but, another dimension. But to answer
2: the question, Paul sings it. It's released in '82. Uh, it doesn't work, but it's the closest I can find like a an alternative timeline. Uh,
1: that's what I think. Yeah. I think, and then and then Paul goes goodbye, and they bring they bring in Number of the Beast and. Yeah,
2: we probably would have been better in eighty two, I think. But it's also like not realistic. A lot of the ideas are born in a different time and etc.
1: public enema, it probably works in the early eighties as well. But we agreed
2: they were better than Prowler, right? The lyrics.
1: The lyrics are way better than Prowler. Yeah.
2: Musically, I say Prowler. I much prefer it.
1: I I, I love Prowler. I, I mean It's a great song. Between the two, I'm gonna go Prowler but yeah. lyrically yeah i mean the lyrics the lyrics are much better these are much more thoughtful lyrics much more yeah. introspective lyrics mm. um, extrospective
2: as well i would say looking i, wouldn't,
1: I mean ti- i mean you can't say really timely because i don't know i mean flashing might be timeless i kind of timely
2: oh, Well, not prowler but this one <laughs> 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 flashing is timeless yes flashing is positively medieval <laughs> that's what I feel like <laughs> medieval times is when they got going is, with
1: flashing. it's timeless it's timeless yeah. flashing is timeless but this th- these lyrics are a little bit more timely or a little bit more introspective
2: that's where we land today flashing is timeless public anime is 1990 I think I like the song I put it on the 50 list let's see what happens in the future it's gonna be interesting so we did rotation in Prowler but do you have anything more to add?
1: the only thing I listen to other thing I listen to which is not uh, musically is I listen to a couple of podcasts I listen to The Rest is History which is mm. a history podcast from uh, the UK which I highly recommend and The Dark Ages History mm. which is a history podcast out of Wisconsin
2: righto so that's it Melissa And I did put this on the list but hey look it's pff, pff, I might as well not but I feel like I should so you, know, have, you gotta go by put, on
1: the, put it on the list for now
2: yeah, and then one Eric of my will, top songs on the record. Eric will yes.
1: debate
2: it. Eric will debate it. Yeah, he's like uh, like he said about Assassin. It's on the list. Well, not for long. Not for long, it ain't.
1: Assassin <laughs> is on the list. Yeah, we know Hendrick. that.
2: Hendrik likes that song. What? Yeah.
1: Hendrick <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Hendrik.
2: All right, let's do the sign off. All
1: right.
2: From me, and Melissa, to you, listening. Up the Irons, called from the north.
1: And cheers from Boston. Maiden A to Z, innit?